Good morning, church. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Greg Baker. I have the privilege of being one of the deacons here at Grace, as well as teaching our 5th through 8th grade ministry. Um, And if you would please, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 24. Um, That's where we're going to at least start this morning. But before we do, I do just want to say I'm really excited to be up here. I'm excited to get to preach to y'all this morning. I'm excited about what the Lord has taught me through these scriptures. And I'm hoping and praying that y'all are at least going to get a glimpse of that. But mostly that the Holy Spirit is going to be moving this morning in your hearts and in the hearts of those around you. So if you've been here the last few weeks, you know that we're in a sermon series called Pursuing the Promise. Um, Stories from Genesis where we go through the stories of these patriarchs, these great men of the faith. And we're looking at how their stories, the lessons that they learn, connect to the greater narrative of Scripture. Naturally, we started this series with Adam and the creation story. We saw how God sewed creation together, how he separated the dry land from the sea, how he filled it with creatures, and finally made creation in his own image. Unfortunately, things did not go so well for so long. We see just in chapter 3 that we have the fall of man, that they are tempted by the serpent and that they sin. And Chad showed us from that text that, text that there were immediate consequences of those sin, but also long-reaching perpetual consequences of that sin. But Moses, the writer of Genesis, also records for us right there in Genesis 3 the hope that is to come when God says to the serpent, I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Moses starts us on a path in this one verse, a path of looking forward to and hoping for this offspring, this singular offspring, the seed of the woman who will strike the head of the serpent. The next week we talked about Noah, and Pastor Chad made it all the more clear to us that sin needed to be dealt with. That sin would touch everything in our lives, everything in the world, and that in this second creation account, all life is ultimately moving toward death. We heard Pastor Chad teach how sin was not eradicated in the flood. Instead, God says in Genesis 8 and verse 21, the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onward. This is the exact same phrase that God uses before the flood. When, he deci- or when he's declaring judgment. We saw sin touch the life of Noah and his family. As Noah's son Ham brings dishonor on himself and on his father. But in the midst of that sin, Moses once again calls, us, calls our attention to God's plan for redeeming his creation. He calls us to the lineage that he will bless. The line of the seed from Noah through his son Sham and eventually to this character Abram. And Abram, or Abraham as he will become, in his story, Moses transitions, right, from these long periods of time, and he really zooms in on one particular man, one particular family. And he does that because of the promise that he gives to Abraham in chapter 12, and then seals with his covenant ceremony in chapter 15. And that promise is to give him three things. He's going to give him land, blessing, and offspring. A father of a great nation. That nation will be given the land of Canaan and that nation will be set apart. They will be blessed and they will bless all other nations. 
But if that's going to happen, Abraham's got to have a nation. He's got to have descendants. And that was somewhat in doubt because he was old and his wife Sarah was old. Right there in chapter 15 that Pastor Chad talked about last week, Abraham asked God, how can you possibly make these things happen when I don't have a son? Even after the covenant ceremony, he has a son with Hagar who is not his wife. But God is unwavering and promising and telling Abraham that he is going to make a great nation of Abraham. It is not going to come through sinful schemes. He is going to do a great work in Abraham and in his wife Sarah to bring about the line of blessing. And we're going to get to talk this morning about this new character. The son of Abraham and Sarah. The continuation of God's covenant promise. The one through whom a great nation, the great nation promised in Genesis 12 will come. The heir from the covenant of Genesis, or in Genesis 15 who comes from Abraham's own body. The one that Genesis 17 talks about when God said that he will be Abraham's God and he will be the God of of his offspring. We're going to talk about Isaac. Now I have to admit, when Pastor Chad said, hey Greg, we're going to do this sermon series, I want you to talk about Isaac. I was a little nervous, maybe a little worried, because I could only think of like two or three Isaac stories. And Isaac didn't really seem to be the focal point of any of those stories. Um, But as I kind of started to read a little bit and study and listen to what other guys had said, I kind of discovered that I was right. He is a long-awaited character, but he is a bit of a transitional character. But I hope that you can see this morning, as I have seen, that there is some richness in these texts. There is beauty in these texts. And so I want to take a bit of a flyover, maybe like a thousand-foot view, if you will, of a few of these Isaac stories. And as we look at those stories, I want to really bring home three lessons, three themes And they're these. Number one, that God providentially pushes his promise, his plan, and his covenant forward. And most often, he accomplishes that task through the people of the covenant. Number two, that God is committed to his chosen people. That he actually loves them. He comes back to them and he draws them to himself despite their disobedience. And number three, I want us to see that when God's people recognize the covenant, when they trust in the covenant, that they are a changed people. Well, like 10 minutes ago, I told you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis 24. And now, now we're there. Um, and this is, this is not a story that I think is super well known. And like I talked about, Isaac is actually only in this story in the last couple of verses, but it is the story of Abraham sending his most trusted servant to find a wife for Isaac. And Abraham gives the servant these very particular instructions, careful instructions. He tells him that this wife is not to be from this land, from the land of Canaan. He's to go back to where Abraham is from in Mesopotamia to find this woman. And that no matter what happens, he's not to take Isaac there. He's got to bring the woman back. And he gives these careful instructions for the same reason that he wouldn't accept land from the king of Sodom last week. He knows that God is going to accomplish this. 
He knows that God has given him a plan, and Abraham intends to do everything he can to stay in line with that plan. So Abraham has the servant swear to him that he'll do all these things, and they go through kind of an odd ceremony, odd ritual, but but it really sets the stage for what's to come, because Abraham doesn't tell the servant to swear by himself or swear by Abraham or all the riches that they have around him. He says, swear by the Lord. Remember, this servant would have been with Abraham for decades. He would have seen God do this great work, bringing about the covenant, working on Abraham. And Abraham wants the servant to know that he's now a part of that plan, that God is going to use him as his instrument to bring Isaac a wife, to continue the line of promise. So he packs ten camels with gifts and with treasures and with food and water and sets out on a journey that would have probably been several hundred miles back to Mesopotamia. And just as he gets to the outskirts of the first first town, he finds a well. He has his camels kneel to rest and he begins to pray. He says this in verse 12, Lord, God of my master Abraham, make this happen for me today and show kindness to my master. This servant gets it. He gets it already. He understands that Abraham's instructions are good and that they are important, but that this is futile, that it will not work. This pursuit is not going to happen unless God blesses it. And before he can even finish his prayer... He sees a woman walking up. This woman is Rebecca, and the scriptures tell us that she's young and that she's beautiful, but mostly it talks about her generosity. Over and over there's this language of her doing things quickly, running here, quickly getting him water, offering to water his camels, which probably would have been 250, maybe 300 gallons. This is a generous, loving woman, and and the servant recognizes that. And he asks her, Whose household are you from? Can I, can I come and, and stay with you? And this is her answer. I'm the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. She also said to him, We have plenty of straw and feed and a place to spend the night. Then the servant knelt low. He worshipped the Lord, and he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not withheld his kindness and faithfulness from my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. Blessed be the Lord, not withheld his kindness and faithfulness. The Lord has led me. That is what this story is is about. It is about God putting his people at the right place in the right time to to fulfill his promise, his plan for his glory. And when the leaders of Rebekah's household, his brother and his father come, the servant sits down to convince him. Again, this speed. He won't even wait for the meal to be prepared before he starts to tell them how it is the Lord's will for Rebekah to come back and marry Isaac. And he doesn't convince them by bragging about Isaac. He doesn't tell them that Abraham is this giant slain conqueror. He doesn't tell them that he's one of the most wealthy men in all the world. He says, the Lord sent me. He said, the Lord was my guide, my guide, and he sent me straight to Rebekah. He sent me straight to your home. Laban and Bethuel answered, this is from the Lord. We have no choice 
in the matter. This is a very self-aware bunch. Rebecca is here in front of you. Take her and go and let her be a wife to your master's son, just as the Lord has spoken. So they go also to Rebecca, and she too is convinced that this is the Lord's will for her to marry Isaac. And just before they leave, Rebecca's brother and father send her with this blessing. Our sister, may you become thousands upon ten thousands. May your offspring possess the city gates of their enemies. This is more literally translated, his enemies. It is pointing us right back to the seed of the woman, the head of the serpent. God is on that same mission. He's still moving towards that promise with every story, with every person, and he's using his people to do it. People in the covenant promise by blood like Abraham and Isaac, but also people like this servant. Hopefully people like you and like me who are part of that promise because they have seen the great works of the Lord and we have faith in him. We trust in him and we believe in him and his awesome power. The story wraps up by Isaac coming home and, and, and seeing Rebecca from afar and loving her and marrying her, eventually having two sons with her, Jacob and Esau. And God was definitely not done with Isaac at this point, so we're actually going to skip over Genesis 25 and go right into Genesis chapter 26 where we are reminded that God doesn't just use his people to push forward his plan in a detached way, in a cold and unloving way. He cares for them. He loves them. He wants them to trust in him and thrive. God is committed to his people. He comes back to his people. So read with me once again Genesis 26 starting in verse 1. There was another famine in the land, in addition to the one that had occurred in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, at Gerar. The Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land that I will tell you about. Stay in this land as an alien, and I will be with you and bless you. For I will give you all these lands, all these lands to you and to your offspring, and I will confirm the oath that I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky. I will give your offspring all these lands, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring. Because Abraham listened to me and kept my mandate, my commands, my statutes, and my instructions. So Isaac settled in Gerar. Right off the bat, we can see these parallels, right, between Abraham and Isaac. God says, hey you... Go into that land over there. Be a sojourner there. Trust me as you go, and I will give you these blessings. I will give you land and seed and blessings, just like I did your father. It's so similar that Moses has got to tell us, hey, this isn't the same famine as before, and this isn't the same leader of the household, but, but this is the same God. This is the same promise, so listen up. It's important that God makes these promises again to Isaac, just like he did to Abraham. It's important that God is confirming that Isaac's line is the line of promise. Unfortunately, this is not where the parallels between Isaac and Abraham end. 
In the next few verses we read that, that when they arrive in this new land, that the men there are somewhat interested, I'll say, in Rebekah. And Isaac does not protect her. He does not defend her. He lies. He says that she's his sister. He's scared. He doesn't trust in the Lord. He says plainly right there in the text that he's scared that they might kill him to get to her. Isaac has forgotten. He has forgotten God's faith in bringing him Rebekah. He's forgotten all the trouble that his cousin Lot got in running from the Lord. He has forgotten the miracle of his own birth. He has forgotten trusting obedience in God. But look at this. Look at what happens when King Abimelech finds out what's going on. Then Abimelech said, What have you done to us? One of the people could have easily slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech warned all the people, Whoever harms this man or his wife will certainly be put to death. God didn't send Isaac into a trap. He cares for him. I don't... I don't think there's any way to interpret Abimelech's reaction except to say that God had already been working in Abimelech's heart, preparing Abimelech's heart for the arrival of Isaac. God had set Isaac up for success. From here we see God go on to fulfill these promises. Isaac grows in influence and in land and in riches. Eventually he has so much cattle, so, many, so much land, so many servants that everybody gets jealous and Abimelech has to ask him to leave. But where does he tell him to go? He says, go back into the Gerar Valley where your father Abraham once settled and dug many wells. God is leading Isaac back to the land that God promised to his family. And God is looking out for him, caring for him, blessing him the whole way. That doesn't mean there isn't opposition. There certainly is. The people of the land don't, don't necessarily like that he's coming back and digging these wells. But at every point... He's able to move, and he continues to find success. He continues to be able to dig more wells and prosper. Until eventually, he's all the way back where he started in Beersheba, where Abraham had settled. And when he gets there, the Lord calls out to Isaac again, saying, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your offspring because of my servant Abraham. So Isaac built an altar there, called on the name of the Lord, and pitched his tent there. So he comes through this trialing time where God has taken care of him. And just like last week with Abraham, God says, Don't be afraid. I am with you. Don't be afraid. I am your shield. Even when you mess up, even when you disobey, even when you forget to trust, even when you forget what I have shown you, I am with you. I am your shield. My love for you is held up by my faithfulness, by my mercy, and I don't forget. I don't change. And I am your God. So I really love movies. I love all movies because I have a superpower. And that superpower is to perfectly match my expectations with every movie. So I'm never disappointed. They're always great. They're always exactly what I wanted them to be. And one movie that a lot of people thought fell on his face, but I thought was great, was this movie Arrival. 
um, with Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner. And the plot of the, of the story is not, not really important. What is important is, is that it's an alien movie. And when you make an alien movie, the hard part is that you've got to make your aliens different than all the other aliens in all the alien movies, right? And so, spoiler alert, these aliens are different because of the way that they interact with time. See, they don't move through time in a linear fashion the way that we do. But this morning, we are going to do a little bit of a, a rival alien impersonation. And we're going to go back in time from Genesis 26 to Genesis 22. Which, just trust me, it's better this way. <laughs> Genesis 22. After these things... God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Take your son, he said, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took with him two of his young men and his son, Isaac. He split wood for the burnt offering and set out to go to the place God had told him about. This can't be right. This can't be, Abraham must have thought. Maybe Ishmael, maybe myself, maybe I'm supposed to be put up as a sacrifice, but not Isaac, not the son of the promise, not the continuation of the line of blessing, not the one from whom the seed of the woman is supposed to come. Not the one that you promised me, God. Many scholars read this passage and speak immediately of Abraham's great and unwavering faith. They say that he gets up early and he splits the wood himself because he's eager. But I don't, I don't really think that's what's going on here. I kind of think Abraham gets up early because he can't sleep. I think maybe he splits the wood himself because he's just got to do something. Because the anticipation is too much to bear. And it's only going to get worse. The next verse tells us that they've got to walk for three days before they can even see this mountain. Abraham's got to talk to his son for three days. He's got to pitch a tent with his son for three nights. He's got to walk with him knowing that he's leading him to his death. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship, and then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand he took the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, My father... And he replied, Here I am, my son. And Isaac said, the, the wood and the fire are here, but, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. It's at this moment you can kind of see the wheel start to turn in Isaac's head. You can imagine maybe he's starting to puzzle this thing out. Maybe he knows but he doesn't run, he doesn't hide, he doesn't try to escape. The two of them 
walk on together. And when they arrive at the place that God had told them about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac, and he placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. This is not the 11th hour, y'all. This is the 59th second of the 59th minute. It is the last possible moment. And after these three excruciating days of walking, after the sleepless nights, Abraham is still here. He is still following. He is still trusting. Grace Bible Church, this is a changed man. This is the coward who gave his wife away to Pharaoh to save himself. This is the man that questioned God during the covenant ceremony, asking how he could possibly make a great nation of him because he was too old. And even after God's covenant, he still doesn't believe. He still has a son with Hagar because he doesn't trust that God can do what he's promised to do. And now he's here with a knife in one hand and a torch in the other, looking over his son, his only son, whom he loves. He is now so certain that God will come through that he is willing to literally kill the promise. The writer of Hebrews looks at this passage at verse 5. When Abraham says that Isaac and he are going to go and worship and then they are both going to come back and he says that Abraham's trust was so deep that he believed God would bring his son back from the dead. This is a changed man. But that doesn't mean there isn't any conflict. That doesn't mean there isn't any sadness or difficulty or internal struggle. One of the greatest things about these Old Testament stories is that they are, these are real, relatable people. God is going to ask you to do things in your life that make you uncomfortable, that push you, that pull you, that stretch you, that take you out of your comfort zone. And you should trust, just like we've talked about. You should go remembering that God loves you and that he is your shield and that he will protect you, that he is using you for your good and for his glory. But that doesn't mean it won't be hard. That doesn't mean there won't be sleepless nights. That is to be expected. But Abraham shows us in this story that we can keep going. We can keep trusting. We can keep obeying even when we don't understand. Even to the point of taking our own son. Just as the knife is coming down, at the pinnacle of Abraham's obedience he hears what must have been the sweetest sound he's ever heard. The angel of the Lord calling from heaven, Abraham! Abraham! Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its thorns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named that place Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. So, to, so even today it is said it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. 
Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn. This is the Lord's declaration. Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. Your offspring offspring will possess the gates of their enemies and the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. I can only imagine that there would have been a little bit of time between these two calls from the angel of the Lord. There would have been a little bit of time where Abraham and Isaac watched the sacrifice, thought, reflected, embraced one another, cried with one another, just tried to wrap their heads around what had just happened. And in the midst of that great moment of relief, God speaks to Abraham and Isaac and says, Remember my promises to you. Remembering and trusting me is what brought you here. Remembering and trusting in me is what brought this ram to save you and to save your son. Remember the depths of your sin. Remember the depths of the sin in all of this creation. But also, remember my covenant. Remember how great it is. Remember that through you, the seed will come and crush sin. Remember and be changed. Church, we too need to remember and be changed. But we don't just have this covenant to remember. Though we should remember it. We don't just have a ram to remember. Though we should remember it and be in awe of God's mercy in this ram and in the entire sacrificial system. Church, we have to remember that another father, our heavenly father, sent his son, his only son, whom he loved to be sacrificed. And God did not walk with Jesus for three days. God watched his son grow and learn and spread the glory of his name for 30 years, the whole time knowing exactly where he would go. God did not split the wood that would be placed on his son's back. God planted the seeds that would grow into the trees that his son would be nailed to. Jesus did not ask where the lamb for the sacrifice was. He knew, and he said, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But most importantly... When God had raised the knife, when God was ready to sacrifice his son, no one called out to him. No one said, stop. No one said, don't lay a hand on your son. It really happened. God really, actually sacrificed his son so that now we can say to him, because you have not withheld your son, your only son whom you love, we know that you love us. Y'all, I know that you know these stories. And I'm sure that you have made these connections. But I want you to make them again this morning. I want you to really think about, reflect on the seriousness of your sin. That the only way that the God of the universe, the Alpha and Omega, could deal with your sin 
was to send his son to live the life that you should live and to die the death that you deserve. And in light of that, think of the unbelievable, indescribable truth that then he actually did it. We actually have that gift, a part of his covenant family. And if you've never done that, if you've never asked God to be a part of that family, if you've never asked that your sin would have died on that cross, maybe this morning is the morning. I'm going to be in the the back of the room on my right-hand side. I would love to listen to you, to talk with you, to pray with you. Let's pray now. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, for this morning, for this church. I thank you for these people. I thank you for these stories and these scriptures. But we thank you foremost that you love us. Love us to the point that you sent your son to die on the cross for our sins when there was no way that we could ever deal with them or atone for them ourselves. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.